This, this month, this, this next few weeks, we're starting a new series called Defining Moments. Defining Moments. And we all have defining moments. And, and uh, you know, students last night, roller skating rink. I mean, I know this was one of the defining moments in my life. Roller skating rink. How many adults went to the roller skating rink? Huh? Come on, come on. Don't lie. Don't lie. Defining Moments. Okay, I remember the defining moments of, like, the limbo and the defining moments of the first time you get out there and you fall down and crash and burn in front of that cute girl right? Right? Or the defining moment of the couple skate, you know, when you're like, everybody clears out and they play this like romantic song. There's still like goofy songs that laid tracks in my brain that, that were like the couple song that you always remembered. As soon as that song came on, it was like everybody, you know, those loser guys that were sitting on the outside watching the good guys get the, get the girl to skate around and whatever, right? How many, how many couples skated last night? Come on, students. How many? How many? How many would call that a defining moment? I mean, you're dancing with this hot girl or, you know, whatever. Defining moment. Come on. No guts, no glory. They all know who you were, da- who you were skating with. Come on. Come on. Oh, uh, well, we had some skating with guys. And, and you know, I, I mean, I remember it. And, you know, if you were here early enough, you might have gotten a glimpse of Scott Hatfield and I simulating the couple's skate, you know. Because it's not like couple skate where you like hold hands and skate next to each other. That's, that's like first level couple skate. Scott and I were showing how it really went where you faced each other and you had your hands on each other's shoulder. You were skating backwards and somebody was. And, and those were the best because the, the, the skates got tied up and then there's epic crash and burn. I mean, and that could have been a defining moment for anybody that had that experience. I mean... Those were some embarrassing moments, some embarrassing moments. And I know I I had lots of defining moments. And you know how I know they were defining? Because I still remember them. Like people, moments, still remember. Like maybe five years old, maybe five years old, had twin sisters that were a year and a half younger than me, lived in a house in Hills, Minnesota. Remember that that house? Kind of still see it. Remember the moment because the neighbor had just poured a brand new concrete di- driveway. They had the like yellow caution tape barricade up. I watched as fascinated watching them like pour it and smooth it and get it brushed and everything. And then as soon as they left, I had this, I don't know, something happened. I, I stood there at the yellow tape and I was like, it's wet. I got to do it. And so, somehow, my powers of persuasion convinced my twin sisters to do it with me. And I jumped the tape, and I ran. I mean, I, I like floated. I ran. I still remember it. It was like slow motion running all the way down this driveway. I also remember my dad chasing me back into the house with cement on my shoes. I also remember the stars and stripes bedspread that I had. You know why I remember it? Because that was my hiding place. Because I ran and slid underneath that bed and hid in the back corner and didn't breathe, hoping my dad wouldn't find me. You know what? He walked right to my bedroom because he saw the concrete footprints. Walked right to my bedroom and stood out there and said, come on out of here. And I didn't say a word, didn't breathe. I just stayed there. And he goes, do you really think I don't know you're under that bed? 
It was a defining moment. <laughs> defining. Defining moment when my dad said, this is going to hurt you worse than it hurt. I mean, hurt me worse than it hurts you. That was a Freudian slip because he lied. It didn't hurt him worse. I guarantee it. There was no spare the paddle in that, in that, that story. I, that was a defining moment for me. I also remember a defining moment in, in elementary school when uh, there, were, there were three people's names I still remember from elementary school. A guy named Daryl, a guy named Tony, and a girl named Kendra. Okay? The guy named Daryl, I remember him because he was a complete goof up. The guy was always in trouble. And he would always do dumb things. But the reason I remember him is because the one time he did some shred of something right, the teacher would like praise him and go, yeah, way to go, Daryl. And I'm like, I've been doing right all along here. I'm getting no hand. I'm getting nothing. Nothing. Daryl. Daryl's the way I should be, man. I should be like derelict and, and, and screw up all the time. And then that way when I do something right, somebody's going to be happy. That was Daryl. Tony? Tony's a different deal. Tony was the bully. Tony bullied everybody in the school. And Tony, one time, I'm out on the playground. We're playing some game on the playground. Again, I'm like fifth, sixth grade. Tony had this bad habit of he would just cut in line. We were playing softball. He'd cut in line in front of everybody. So he'd hit, and then he'd cut back in line. Well, it just so happened this day, he comes up, and he tries to cut in line in front of me. And I said, no, get behind me. And he looked at me, and he goes, no, boy, I'm going in front of you. And I said, get behind me. He said, no. And I don't know what came over me. Don't know, still to this day, because I was afraid of the guy. Don't know what happened, but I reached back and went like this to hit him, and I meant to hit him in his arm. Somehow, some way, it went bam and just drilled him right in the jaw. And to be honest, it scared me to death. I was like, what, what did I just do? <laughs> I mean, I was terrified. And, but the response was priceless because Tony was like dazed and he looked at me and he goes, why would you do that? And he got all upset. I mean, like I brought down the bully right there and then. And it was a defining moment for me because I'm like, I'm not going to be scared of that chump anymore. I'm not going to do it. So I busted him right in the mouth and he never messed with me again. Okay. So yes, I'm promoting violence. No, not really. Um, the other one, Kendra. Okay, this one was a little tough because Kendra was this girl. Her name was Kendra Beerman. She was a swimmer. I'm fifth, sixth grade. I, this girl is so cute. I really, really like her. I've never had much of a conversation with her, but I really like her. And, and so what happens is my dad, for the 13th time, gets a different job transfer or whatever, and we got to move. And so my last day in elementary school in Nebraska... I, I'm sitting there, they have a little going away party for me, and, and, and Kendra is there, and Kendra writes me this note, and passes it to me, and it said, I've always liked you, and I always will. I was devastated, because I was too chicken to tell her I liked her before that, and now I'm moving, wasted all that time, sixth grade, I mean, what could have happened? I mean, it was terrible. It was a defining moment for me because I'm like, what? I was living in fear. I should have let her know, but I just didn't have it in me. I was scared. I was scared of rejection. It was a defining moment for me. You know, defining. Those are moments that you, you, you like, they, they change you. You know, one of, another defining moment for me was, you know, I don't know if they still do it this way, but back in eighth grade, 
uh, which is now the freshman center here, I went out for the basketball team in eighth grade. And the way they did it is they would, the guys that made the team, there would be a thing posted on the wall, and it, it would list all the names of the people on A and B team. And if your name wasn't listed, it, mean, it meant you didn't make it. And I loved basketball. Loved basketball. And, uh, and, I w- and that fateful day, I'm walking over there, and I walk up to that wall, and my name's not on it. It was a defining moment hard moment. And the reason it was hard is because I had to make a choice. What am I going to do? I got cut. Embarrassing. People that knew that I didn't make the team. People that knew I loved basketball and they were asking me, hey, man, did you make team? No, no, didn't make team. So I went and played intramural basketball after that and I got better. And basketball was my passion. You don't understand. Basketball, I grew up loving sports. Boy, love sports watch sports all the time on TV. I grew up watching basketball all the time. I would see other people on TV playing basketball. My favorite player was Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson, would, would he was the king of these no-look passes. I mean, he could pass without looking. He'd throw it over this way, and it was like right on the money. And I mean, he was awesome, and he was a relentless competitor. And you know, watching these people play basketball all the time, it made me go, man, I love it. And I'd see these moves and I'd go, I could do that. I could do that. I could do that. I'd find myself daydreaming of all these moves that I'm going to do, all these dunks that I'm going to make and everything else. I would, I would sit there and be so caught up in it. And then the problem was I'd get out on the basketball court and I'd try those moves and they didn't look the same. Those no look passes like airmailed anybody that was a teammate. The dunk, I couldn't even touch the rim, let alone dunk. I mean, I couldn't get it done. But, but with hard work, I became a better basketball player. Basketball became something that I loved. And, 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 and just observing it and watching it from afar didn't make me a basketball player until I got on that court and started to play. It was a defining moment. Defining moment. Because that moment where all those things that you dream up, I used to be in the backyard, we had a basketball court in my backyard, and I used to sit there and I'd dribble the ball around the court and I'd practice and whatever, and I would simulate these moments of glory where I would dribble and I'd get around that guy and I would go up for the shot, and I'm all alone on this basketball court. I'd go up for the shot, and if it happened, go last second, played it all out, last second, down one. I'd go up for that shot, and it'd be like, if I made it, I would go crazy, just like they do on TV. I'd run around the court, I'd cheer, I'd be all excited. If I missed, I'd just start over again and redo it all again. But the moment when it became real, when it was no longer in my mind, when it became real, and I was on the court, and it was the last seconds, and I'm the point guard on the team, and I'm playing Pat Whitworth's team, in, eighth, in seventh grade, and I showed up at halftime because I screwed up and thought the game was later. And I showed up at halftime, and it, those last seconds where it's coming down to, you know, his, he, Pat, Pat, of course, was on, like, the best team. Everybody knew it. He was, he was such a winner. I, it just drove me crazy. So, but we're in the last seconds of that game, and I, and I came dribbling in, and I come up for, and, and it's like, what do I do? You know, last seconds down one, do I shoot the ball or do I pass it? You know, because if I shoot it and I miss and it's all my fault, then I, I made our team lose. And it's this defining moment. Am, am, am I going to, I've been watching it all along. I've dreamt about it all along. Am I going to shoot or am I going to pass? 
Am I going to miss it? Am I going to make it? Those are defining moments. Because if either way, because if you make the shot, it's a defining moment because it gives you the confidence that you can do it again. If you miss it, it's a defining moment because it may influence you to not take that shot again. Defining moments. Things that change you. On your outline, there's a, we're going to define defining moments as a moment or decision that adds definition, that gives definition to where you are headed. Today in our, in our, in our time, we're going to spend time talking about these people called the Israelites. And it's Old Testament, and if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Deuteronomy 30. And it's the Israelites. I'm going to tell you this, kind of the backdrop of this story. Here's the deal. The parents... Of the, of the people that we're reading about, these, these kids in Deuteronomy that are being communicated to here, these are the kids of a famous generation. You may, if you've been in church at all or in parts of your life, you may remember those Israelites that left the Exodus that were in slavery in Egypt for a lot of years. And, and, and what happened is God delivered them. Remember all the plagues? You've seen the Bible on TV maybe. All the plagues, the frogs, all these things. All these things... Where are you going? Anybody? Anybody? Gets right up in front of me, walks out. That's my daughter. I can do that, right? Yeah? Just kidding. Sorry to mess you up, but um, I've always wanted to do that, you know? It's like people get up, walk, you know? It's like, whoa, where? where? I, I seized the opportunity. It was a defining moment for her. She'll never do that again. Anyway, so the Israelites, they... Uh, Their parents, the parents of these kids that we're going to be reading about, they they got delivered. All the plagues, they go, they're going out, they get to this place called the Red Sea, and now they're stuck. All their enemies chasing them down, they're going to come to kill them. God does this amazing miracle, parts the sea. The parents walk through on dry land, go to the other side. Enemies are all, water collapses over them, enemies are killed, Okay. Defining moment for the Israelites. And then fast forward, you know, they're hungry and they're complaining because, you know, they've been delivered past the sea. They don't have any enemies, but now they don't have food either. They're, they're complaining. So God rains down manna from heaven. It's like food dropping from the sky. Oh, man, what a deal. Should have been a defining moment. Was a defining moment. And, and, and then they go up against these they're going to this land that God had promised them. It's called the promised land. Land flowing with milk and honey. Everything they'd ever wanted was right there. They, but the deal is, God promised them that, but they still had to fight for it. They still had to fight for it. So they go, they get, they're, they're on the way, they win lots of battles. They get right outside the promised land. They're sitting there. They send spies to go look inside this promised land to see if it's all that God said it was. The spies come back and they go, yes, it is. It is all that God said it was. It's amazing. But the problem is, of the spies that they sent to go look at it, everyone but two came back and said, yes, it is all that, but the enemies are enormous. We look like ants in comparison. And so what happened is, Joshua and Caleb, the only two spies that came back, they were the ones that said, we can do it. Our God is for us. We can do it. We can do it. And they're the only ones. So what happened is the parents broke faith with God. Their trust only went so far. Their trust only went so far. So the parents, after all those miracles, got right there outside everything they wanted, 
they broke faith with God. And the consequence was they wandered for 40 years outside everything they ever wanted. They wandered for 40 years because they had broken faith with God. Now, these kids that we're going to read about here, this Deuteronomy 30 passage is addressed to the kids of the parents that broke faith with God. It's to their kids. So they had all these stories of the parting of the Red Sea, manna from heaven, all those things. Those, those stories were passed down to their kids, but the kids also knew that they were wandering outside the promised land for 40 years until every one of those parents died off. That was God's judgment on them. They sat outside everything they wanted until all the parents were gone. So now what's happening is in Deuteronomy 30, God is restating or renewing the promise that he had given to the parents. He's basically telling them, here's the deal. He, he restates what, he, what he's looking for and what he expects. And in Deuteronomy 30, we're going to find that out. But before we do that, just take a moment on your outline. Jot down, what have your parents passed on to you? What's been passed down to you? Maybe parents, grandparents, just at the top of your outline. Just take a minute and jot down what are the things that were passed down to you? Maybe you didn't have any parents that, at all. Maybe you had parents and they didn't pass anything down to you about God. What were the things about God that your parents passed down to you? That you remember? That like have shaped you? Just write down some of those things. Just right off the top of my head, what I did is I went, what were the things that my parents passed down to me? Just, I I jotted down three things. There were countless things they passed down. But three things. God is the only way. No matter how hard it gets, no matter what happens in your life, God is the only way. There are a lot of of things that are going to come your way. God is the only way. That's one. Second thing they pass down to me is he can be trusted. God can be trusted. Last thing, the third thing they passed down to me was he loves me unconditionally. So even when I run through wet cement that my poor parents can't afford to fix, they still love me. Even when I fall short, God still loves me. Over and over and over again. When I step outside the line, when I jump over the boundary, he still loves me. Those were defining things that they passed down to me. Things that I'll always remember. And things that I've subsequently built on. So, ultimately, we're going to be presented with this defining moment in this passage. Every single one of us. Every one of us. And we're going to pray. And I want you to pray along with me. I want you to pray and ask God... On your own, because this is a defining moment for you. I want you to pray and ask God to be present. God, we, we're just sitting here, standing here, asking for the power of your presence. God, we're asking you to make yourself irresistible to us. God, we're asking you to make everything known and simple in this passage. Help us to see it with your eyes. Help us to hear it with your ears. And God, help through the power of your spirit. Make this a defining moment for us. God, we love you in your name. Amen. While you got your pen, we're going to go through this passage. While you got your pen, I want you to underline or highlight words that jump off the page. 
That's the way you've got to read Scripture. That's why it's on your outline. Just underline, highlight, you know, right off to the outside, things that jump off the page. The second blank in your outline says, am I going to trust God or not? That's ultimately what this whole thing is going to come down to. Am I going to trust God or not? Deuteronomy 30, verse 11 through 20, the subtitle for this is The Offer, Life or Death. And it's the offer that every one of us have. Now what I am commanding, this is, this is God, what I am commanding, that's an order, that's a, not a suggestion, it's an order. What I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Now the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. God made himself known. This passage tells everybody, simplifies it down to this is the offer and this is what this is the action required. Verse 15 says, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and to possess. This day I call the heavens and earth as witness against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This whole passage, again, to the kids of those parents that had passed away, this whole passage says, I'm laying an offer before you. Choose life or death. Now, every one of us have that same offer before us. Choose life or death. And, and I got to think that if you're like me, that seems like a pretty obvious choice, right? That seems like a pretty no-brainer. Life or death. I mean, really, how many, how many would just be bold enough to say, I, no, I choose death. I choose death. Choose death. No, no, no. Everybody wants life. Everybody wants life. That's what we would choose, is what we say. But here's the reality. Most of us in this room will choose death. Willingly. We'll choose death. Let that soak in for a minute. You'll willingly choose death. How could you do that? Why would you do that? Well, the passage right there, God puts it plain and simple. See, in verse 15, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today, this is, if you're going to choose life, this is what God says. If you're going to choose life, the action required are these things. Love the Lord your God. Walk in obedience to him. Keep his commandments. Love, walk, and keep. How are you doing? 
you thought you were choosing life, how are you doing? You, you love God? You walking in his ways? You keeping his commands? Life or death? Because we see what death is, is death is, but if your heart turns away, in verse 17, but if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship him, bow down to other gods, Back then, they, they had other gods. You know what they had? They had lots of gods, and they used those terms to call it gods. But they had the god of sex. They had the god of love, the god of money. They had all these different gods back then. It was obvious who you were bowing down to. You were bowing down to the god of money because you wanted money. You were bowing down to the god of sex because you were wanting it. You are bowing down, and even though you go, no, but I still love God, but I'm bowing down to these other things. I love God, but I'm bowing down to these other things. It says in here, if you continue to choose those other things and bow down to those other things, you're choosing death and destruction. Why would you choose that? Nobody would choose that. And, you know, as a high school student, I, I remember back in these days, I remember those hard days of walking alone. Students, listen up. Okay, because I remember a lot of defining moments, a lot of camps, a lot of weekends, a lot of everything. A lot of moments where I was like, man, we're in this together. We had this bonding moment, and we're like, we're in this together. And I watched friend by friend by friend as the years passed abandon. I watched friend by friend by friend leave this path that we said we were in together. And it was lonely. And you'd watch them go, and there was some temptation because they would sit there and they'd be having so much fun. It was so much fun. It was so great. They, they do a way better job on the path of death of portraying it as exciting. You know, they really do. You know, the path of death seems so exciting. You know, the center line here in the court, you know, here's what, here's what we do. A lot of us, we're, we're not quite sure. We haven't really committed. We haven't really landed on, am I all in on this God thing or not? I haven't had this defining moment where I go, I'm in. I'm all in. So what I do is I get right up next to the line. I'm like, I love you, God. And this is the life side. And this is the death side. And I sit here and I like kind of step into death every now and then. Only to like jump back into life. And I, I straddle it back and forth. And before long, I just start kind of getting drawn. As that passage says, I get drawn into death, you know, and death becomes, starts to become comfortable. But growing up in high school and college and everything else, you're like, oh man, these are your days. You got to go live, go, go experience life, you know, these wild moments. And then you're just growing your testimony, right? I mean, that's what, that's what we adults probably thought. Oh, you know, going to have this moment where I did all these stupid things, but you know, now that I, and I, I walked on the death side for a while, but then God, I came back to life and it's like, God was so good. We have all those stories and some of those stories are powerful and awesome and they're true. But the reality is this more, they're the exception, not the rule. Most of the people that start walking in death stay in death because it becomes comfortable. It becomes what they are used to. Their friends and other people that they like or that they look up to, they start staying over here in death. It's what they do. 
And so life just doesn't, they can't even see light, the life side anymore. And the life side just isn't even appealing to them anymore. And they willingly chose death. And for all of us who are right here on the life side, we're seeing friends and we're like, no, 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 don't, don't, don't go that way. Don't go that way. Don't hang out with that guy. Defining moment. Don't go out with that guy. He's a dirt bag. He's cute and all, and he's a bad boy, and I know that's appealing to you, but here's the reality. He's a dirt bag. He's bad news. Don't go out with defining moments. She goes out with him anyway. Pulls, drawn away, like the passage says, drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them. And God says clearly, you chose that path, that path leads to destruction, and with sadness, you chose it. The path, that, the path of life is something that requires loving God. It's simple. We try and make it. This passage says it's not, it's not high up in the heavens so that somebody has to go up and find it. It's not deep below the sea so somebody can come and find it. Basically what God's saying is it's right here. It's right in front of you. Here's the choice. Choose life or death. And if you're going to choose life, what that means is you're going to love me. And that doesn't mean like feel romantically love. That means I'm going to love you, which means if I love you and I make a commitment to you, I choose to do these things. I choose to want to know you more. I choose to want to spend time with you because that's going to help me grow in my love for you. I choose to listen. I choose to be on the same team. I choose to be on the same team. That's the hard part about this whole thing, about straddling the line is that no one knows which team you're really on. You know, I think you're on my team, but then you score buckets for the, for the dark side. It doesn't make sense to me. I, you got to land. Because you can't sit here and go, I'm not ready to choose. Well, no choice is still a choice. So in all this, this defining moment for everyone here, the defining moment for these kids of, that, of those parents that had passed away is this. They had to stand in a faith of their own. Just like my parents. My parents were great, godly parents. They raised me up in, in the right ways. They passed on right things. And I had to choose one day to stand in a faith of my own. I could have, I could have lived and, and partly did live in this legacy of my parents. But the defining moment came when did I choose to live in a faith that was my own? See, students, you've been talking about building something all weekend. You can't build on something you don't have. So if you don't have a faith of your own, a faith of your own, not your parents' faith, a faith of your own, that's the foundation to start building on. You've got to have a defining moment where you go, I trust you, God. I trust you. I choose life. These people in this passage had that exact moment. These kids that heard all the stories were, were in Joshua 1 were faced with this and they were encouraged to be strong and courageous. And, they, and what happened is, just like God parted the Red Sea so that they could walk through, these kids had to make that, that 
scary walk toward that Jordan River that they were going to try and cross, that river that didn't have a bridge. They had to make that scary walk of faith. They had to decide for their own, am I going to trust God or not? And they walked to that water, and they had to go stand in that water, believing that God was going to part it. It was a defining moment for them. They put their feet in the water, the waters parted, and they walked across. And they lived in a faith of their own. And God told them to go take a rock from that river and build a monument. And Joshua 4 told them to go build a monument of a defining moment when God parted the sea for them. And ultimately, those kids that sat out in the wilderness for 40 years wandering because their parents broke faith, those kids now stand in a faith of their own. And those kids now took and went and had what their parents missed out on. They walked in the promises of God. Where are you at? I think many of you at this point still haven't landed on this defining moment where it's like, it's not make-believe anymore. It's not just in my mind. It's not just, you know, I'm, I, I come to church and I hear these great testimonies and therefore I feel like I'm a part of it. It's not that. It's not, it's not good enough to be that. No, it's, it's actually like I'm in. I'm on the court. I'm playing the game. I'm in. I'm in the battle. I'm not just playing this imaginary mind game. I'm really in those moments. Or are you still out there wandering in the wilderness, right outside what God wants for you? God's plan A best for your life. Are you still outside of that wandering around, missing it? God wants you to choose life. And he tells you plainly what that means and what is required to choose life. Sadly, many of us still choose death. But the offer is yours. You want to wander? You want to sit here and straddle the line? Dabble in death? Try and live in life? Or do you just want to have this defining moment where you go, you know what? I choose life. Choose life that I might live. And I'm going to go stand in life and I'm going to love God and I'm going to learn what it looks like to love God. I'm going to learn what it looks like to be a Christ follower. And even in that, I'm going to mess up. And I'm going to have moments where I screw up. And even in that, I'm going to overhear in life and death still calls out to me. And I still want to dabble I still have these urges to dabble, but the longer I stare at death, the more that I become that. If I keep staring at death, that's what I'll become. I choose life. What do you choose? Because of all the defining moments, you can come to church all you want for the rest of your life. If you don't have that defining moment where it says, know what, I choose life. I chose today, chose life, and I'm going to live in it. 
and I'm going to fight for it. I'm not going to do, I'm not, I, it, it's hard, but I'm going to fight for it because it's worth it. Last week, we had four people get baptized in that other gym. And you know what? It was awesome. It was awesome to watch the courage and the conviction of people to get up in front of everybody in that gym and walk over to that door and say, I choose life. It was awesome. And you can applaud for that because that was that good. And many of you sat there in that same gym and had that same wrestling and that same uncertainty and that same fear, and you didn't make those steps. You didn't choose. Maybe you've chosen, but you just are too afraid to like, let everybody know. We're going to give you another opportunity coming up soon to do it again. Because you know what? You've got to have that defining moment that will, you go back, and I guarantee you, the people that got baptized, that's one of those moments in life you'll go, I remember when, I remember when. Because make no mistake, the, the defining moment today is you're going to choose that you have an offer. You're going to choose life or you're going to choose death. And for me who has chosen life, I can tell you, life is the way to go. And anybody that portrays life is less than should be ashamed of themselves. It's fantastic. It's spectacular. And it's hard, but it's so worth it. Anybody that's been on the playground, the court, playing in the battle, fighting, knows it's worth it. So today... You can't build on what you don't have. What do you choose? Do you choose life or do you choose death? It's that simple. You're going to choose one or the other. There's no in-between. I'm going to pray. And if today, if you're sitting here and you're wrestled in where you're at, I want you to, I want you to stand up and I want you to come up here. Just come and let's talk about it. Let's talk about how to choose life. Let's make today a defining moment. Students, if it's you, make today a defining moment. If it is you in, that, in this place, stand up and come up front, and we'll talk about it. It's the biggest decision you'll make in your life. God, we pray that there will be nothing that stands in the way. God, remove all obstacles. God, I pray that, you're, you're, that you would just overwhelm this place with your presence and be irresistible. God, help us to this day, this day remember, this is the defining moment in my life when I chose life. God, I thank you for giving us life and giving us this chance and this offer. Help us to live and walk in it. We love you in your name. Amen. Got a couple of announcements. We've got a fellowship right after this. It's a taco fellowship. It's gonna, and it's for everybody in the room. Doesn't matter if this is your first time here. It's what we do as part of being a family. We spend time together. We eat together. We, we laugh together. We have fun together. And it's in the other gym. So you're going to walk right over there and you're going you're gonna to get all kinds of good food. And it's really healthy. It's all fat-free meat. It's really good.
and uh, no, you're in church, so there's nothing bad in church, right? There's nothing bad. When you came in, there were these cards, okay? These are invite cards. On the front, it says defining moment. Please take this card and go invite somebody to be a part of this. On the back, it'll tell you some more information about us, about the church. But maybe, maybe it's, you're like me and you go to Einstein Bagels every single morning and they call you the name Steve instead of Scott. And you don't correct them, I don't know. But that, that, that's what, for some reason, I, everybody thinks my name's Steve. It's Scott. Anyway, um, maybe, maybe what you do is you go, I, it's your barber. It's, it's somebody that, that does your, has done your hair for a long time. And you go, you know what? We have this cool service on Easter. And I, I'd love for you to be a part of it. Just ask them. Because this could be the defining moment for them. This could be that moment where God makes himself irresistible. And they go, oh my gosh, I had no idea. I had no idea what I was missing out on. So please take this card and commit, because you love the people that are around you, and because you're convinced that choosing life is the right thing, and it's the best thing, it's God's plan A, give them a card. And if you need more than one, we can give you more than one. As long as you're going to commit to give these cards to someone you love and care about. Please do it. That fellowship that's following... We need some of you to take your chairs with you into the other gym. These folding chairs, they need to go with you into the other gym. It is important because we don't have enough chairs. Because we are a growing church and we need all the chairs we can get. That's right. Also, please take your life group leader guide. It has your sermon outline. If you're in a life group, man, I hope if you've been missing the last few or whatever, please commit to get back in it. It's part of loving God. It's part of knowing Him. It's part of being a part of life. Life group, here's your guide. Please make it a priority for your life.